Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Thursday, September 1st, September call-ups edition of the podcast. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we'll discuss roster expansion. There have been some very interesting prospects brought up as rosters are expanding today. Might even get a few breaking news style uh, promotions along the way. It's everybody's favorite. we got a few new-ish pitchers that we're going to talk about assessing their roles, what they've shown in limited action so far. Uh, it also occurred to me that we did not discuss the mega deal that Julio Rodriguez signed with the Mariners late last week. So we'll get to that on this episode. We get some mailbag questions as well and uh, lots to cover. So a good episode lined up here on this Thursday. You know, the notable promotions, Gunnar Henderson, probably uh, right up near the top of that list. It, it's not just roster expansion. It's as we've talked about before, it's the new rules for draft pick compensation going to teams uh, for players winning the Rookie of the Year award and you know getting past a service time threshold to no longer be eligible for that award. And then on top of that, uh, as Matt Eddy pointed out, uh, Matt Eddy of Baseball America, teams also need to make sure that players don't accrue too many at-bats or players don't accrue too many at-bats to become uh, ineligible for the award as well. So that might control the amount of exposure that Gunnar Henderson and Corbin Carroll receive against lefties, which is really really an extra wrinkle. I guess in the case of Henderson, the Orioles are trying to get in the playoffs, so they're playing matchups a little more closely anyway. And in the case of Carroll, they'll just give him the occasional day off, which they've already done against one lefty so far. Uh, but all of this is still, to me, a step in the right direction. We're seeing more players getting opportunities later in the year than we have in seasons past. And that seems like a good thing, even if it's not perfect. It's better than it was. Let's start with Henderson. What are you expecting from Henderson from the jump now that he's up with the Orioles? I love the debut with the the homer and the the dropped helmet and the the flowing locks as he as he uh as he rounds the bases um i i think the power is real uh, i think the patience is real i think there's a pretty large question about what the strikeout rate will be so interesting uh that uh, he didn't strike out in his first uh, in his first game but uh, i think that he will eventually and you know the way that things are now it's not like he's going to get to the big leagues and everyone's not going to have a book on him. You know, there's track man in the minor leagues. These, the teams all have, uh, you know, heat maps on him. So, you know, it is one good game. I would expect that he will be attacked, uh, pretty ruthlessly according to his cold zones pretty quickly. Um, and so I'm going to be watching that strikeout rate. I think uh, lightning in a bottle means, uh, you know, you got to pick him up. 
You got to give him a try. Um, I don't know how good he will be immediately uh, because he struck out 26% of the time in AAA. You know, that's that's not nothing. He could strike out 30% in the major leagues. I was talking about this with Al Melchior earlier in the day on Thursday, and you can listen to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast to get the full version of the conversation. But one thing that really surprised me about this year is Bobby Witt Jr.'s strikeout rate didn't jump the way I expected it to. Part of my aversion to Witt where he was going during draft season was the concern that the K rate was going to jump into the high 20, maybe even the low 30% range just initially. Eventually, it would come back down, but he's actually struck out a little bit less this year as a big leaguer than he did in a half season's worth of plate appearances at AAA Omaha last season. The walk rate's down, but we'll certainly accept something like that. And I guess all this has led me to is, is wondering if we have even a decent handle on how much a hitter's strikeout rate is really going to change from the upper levels of the minors to the big leagues. Because as we've thought about on this podcast for several years, probably going back to the confusion around Keston Hira, his minor league strikeout rates being good, his big league strikeout rate being very problematic. There are many different paths to a good or bad strikeout rate. And I think there are certain ways you can strike out in the minors that uh, maybe are less of a concern in the big leagues. Like it, it, It's a question of whether you can hit certain types of pitches. And I feel like it's hard on the outside looking in to know that. But I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head in that Big league teams do have a scouting report. They know where the holes are, and we will get a better sense for whether those holes can be consistently exploited sooner rather than later. And I, I guess all of this is to say I'm just I'm I'm decreasingly confident in being able to project a K rate for a hitter based on upper level minor league track record. And I feel like that's the wrong direction to be going as I get older. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I would say is that triple A strikeout rates um, translate the best to the major leagues. Uh, I don't know if it's because you have a lot of veteran pitchers in triple A, you know, veterans with large arsenals and command of secondary pitches that are waiting for their chance to get back to the majors. I don't know uh, if it's just uh, because of the natural progression of things. But if you look, for example, at the bat X, uh, you know, the projected strikeout rate for Gunnar Henderson is 27.9% off of 26.4%. So that's fairly close, you know, and I wonder what I wonder how different it would be if we did not have that triple A line. He had an 18% strikeout rate in double A. It might still be 24, 25, 26% because of how well double A stats translate over. So you know, you still see the 30% and high A, the 29% in low A. Um, and you just wonder, um, you know, there's a progression here. He's getting better, uh, but this, there's still strikeouts there. So um, I just wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't depend on him for batting average. But the nice thing about being, about calling him up at the end of the year is that um, you don't, your batting average is set. Right, so if he comes up and hits a bunch of homers, steals his bases, and ends up with an O'Neill Cruz line, um, you'd still be pretty pretty happy that you got those extra homers and stolen bases. I have a personal situation here with Gunnar Henderson where um, I had one share 
in a situation where uh, it was six keepers and four free minor league keepers. And I'm in third place and wanted to win the league a second year in a row. Uh, and so I traded Gunnar Henderson away for, I don't even know, you know, things I needed, you know, just to some pitchers. And I think Tyler Rogers was in the package, you know, <laughs> like just, just some, I needed holds and, you know, I thought maybe he'd write the ship and be a good holds guy. So, um, I will regret it if he turns into a star, <laughs> especially since right now I'm just jumping between third and second, and I don't think I'm going to win it. That is uh, that's rough. It looks like Gunnar Henderson's going to be very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the the flip side of flags fly forever. Is what if you make that trade and don't win the flag? Perpetual FOMO. Yeah. <laughs> A couple other players that have been promoted in the last uh, 48 hours or so. Spencer Steer, who the Reds received from the Twins as part of the Tyler Molly trade at the deadline. He is up, and I saw that C. Trent, uh, Trent Rosecrans, covers the Reds for the Athletic, pointed out on Twitter that Steer has played all four infield positions and right field already in the brief time that he's been at AAA Louisville. I do think the, the Reds have this unique and fun problem with so many players that are, are currently you know, second or shortstops and third baseman that they're going to have to move guys around and, and figure things out sort of quickly because a lot of these guys have overlapping timetables. Steer's already 24 years old, third round pick back in 2019, so it makes sense to give him a late season look. The numbers in the in the minors this year have been solid, You know, 15 home runs between uh, the two AAA teams, and I think another eight at AA this season. So power's good. There's a little bit of speed there. Um, I guess it's just going to be a question of how quickly he can adjust, but the Reds don't have enough players to really block him, and I don't think you're looking at Steer as someone that you're you're thinking about as a rookie of the year candidate next year. So I think this could be kind of a, a max playing time volume situation for him over these final five weeks of the season. I mean, it's an audition, right? I I find it uh it difficult uh some a little bit to parse that thing where they've played all over in the modern in modern baseball. Think about like in the past, you know, five years ago maybe, if you told me this guy's played all over, I'd be like, Oh god. He's not a shortstop. Right? He's not a shortstop. He's a utility guy. He's going to be second base. He's going to do this. He's going to, he's going to play, end up in the outfield. He's going to be third third baseman. He's not a shortstop. If he's played all over, he's not a shortstop. However, you know, I know that there are teams that uh, just have this mandate now in the minor leagues for everyone to play everywhere. Joey Part, play first, play outfield. Yeah, you're still, you know, you're still going to make it as a catcher if you make it. Uh, but we want you to be able to play all over. And that's something that uh, everybody coming up through the Giants organization is doing, is playing all over. So it could just be part of that sort of a mandate to to just be comfortable playing all over. Maybe that also helps with shifts later, you know? If you're, you're comfortable playing second base, you know, maybe we can play you in a different part of the shift than, than normal or whatever. Um, I would say that the Reds, despite what you're saying about having a lot of infielders, the biggest need is shortstop. So if I was them, I would stick him in at shortstop for the rest of the season and see what I have. The problem is you have Jose Barrero. So what's going to happen there, you think? 
play them both, move them both around, base it on who else is in and out of the lineup. And I mean, they're both righties. Moose plays first. India plays second. Yeah, Moose plays first because there's not that much value out of, you know, I don't know. Maybe Moose doesn't play, but there's not that much value about you're not you're not trying to figure out who's going to play first base for them next year. Right. Right. So just stick Moose there and don't worry about it. India seems like he's stuck. He's the guy at second. So you're trying to find a shortstop and a third baseman. So I guess you just maybe you just take Barrero and you take Steer and you just alternate them to any short and third because you just need them. You need to get looks. You need to get da- data at both positions. Yeah. Yeah. So, make sure you pick the right option of the two, at least in the short term, but then understand if one of them is the long term solution that you've you've exhausted the the options for both players. I guess the other way you could look at it as righties with a couple of lefties in the corners right now, TJ Friedel and, and Jake Fraley, if you if you decided you don't want those guys to play against lefties, then you could put one of them in a corner outfield spot as a platoon partner and then just you know move the other infielder around accordingly around that and then keep playing Kyle Farmer a little bit. But I, I think there's enough there's enough flexibility on the roster and enough uh, thinned out by injuries and trades here where you can you could see it working in, in some capacity. And I, I would say I don't want to hold multi-position usage in the upper levels of the minor leagues against the player because I, I, I think whereas in the past that might have meant he doesn't have a position he's good at necessarily, now it's probably giving yourself options to just get a player out of the big league roster when you have a need. Having more than one choice potentially if you lose a, a second baseman or a third baseman or whatever it might be that your big league team loses, it's easier to turn to your best all-round bat that's available if that player can competently play three different defensive positions. Yeah, um, I was just sorry. I was looking at Kyle Farmer's line, and it's it's very Isaiah kind of Falefa. It's very strange. I did not expect that out of Kyle Farmer. I don't know. I guess I, I you know it that sort of player is going to be valuable if the Reds are going to be good next year. So I guess you want to keep playing him to keep him useful in that way. So I guess I get I guess I'm with you on that. You know, Steer Steer could play left and Farmer can play third most likely. Farmer is also 32 years old. Is he a free agent to be? No, he's not a free agent until after 2024. Yeah, so I think I think you're right. I think he will play a little bit. Um, I don't know why you would play Donovan Solano and Colin Moran. And, and this is actually something that's uh, true here locally is like, why is Jock Peterson still on the Giants? Why is, why is Colin Moran and Donovan Solano still on the Reds? Even if you didn't, I guess it's, I guess it's rude to just like cut a guy. But it's not that rude, you know. Like they could, they could jump on with a contender. They could win a title. It's not rude. Somebody like Colin Moran is not amazing, but like maybe somebody gets hurt and the Dodgers last minute are like, "Gosh, you're better than, you know, Edwin Rios or whatever." Maybe, maybe not. But you know, there's there's always that chance, and it's better than you know why why are they running out Colin Moran for the Reds when? I guess they have another year of him if they want him. It just seems weird that Colin Moran and Donovan, and Donovan Solano are still on the team. I would assume they don't play that much going forward. 
I because you, you want to play less. Chucky Robinson, you want to play Jose Barrero, you want to play Spencer Steer, you want to play Jake Fraley, you want to play Nick Senzel, you want to play Aristides Aquino, you want to play those guys because you want to you want some pooping or getting off the potty. Yeah, make a decision. Yeah, and I think um, of those ones, uh, I think you know, I think Fraley will emerge as a regular. Steer looks like he can emerge as a regular actually i mean i i you know it's a really good combination if you take you know it, it requires taking some of his better walk rates and some of his better strikeout rates and, and some of his better power rates and putting them together but if he does do all those things there's a special player in there so i you know even if he even if he falls short on one of the three um you know if he does the other two like if he has power and strikes out a bit too much, but still also has patience, he's going to be good, right? If he has contact and not that much patience and power, he's going to be good, right? So, like, he looks like, uh, he looks legit. I'm I'm a little surprised that it's kind of under the radar for me. But I would pick Steer and Fraley to kind of come out of this mess uh, with the most playing time next year. I don't, I don't know about Senzel. What do you think? I, I think... I'm a little bit I'm a little bit nervous. The power seems totally gone. Uh the defense is not rating well. Uh I the best thing is is contact ability, but the patience isn't really there. I he's thirty percent under league average with the bat and he's twenty four percent for this career, and now we've got almost a thousand plate appearances. Right. We're not getting hard contact. Uh, we're, we're not getting very good defense. We're not really getting anything that's going to drive playing time anymore. So I, I think at this point, it's more of a give him a fresh start somewhere else. And maybe I'm interested. But if he stays in place, I think the playing time is going to drop. You know, give, give him a fresh start somewhere else. And he's uh, not in that field. <laughs> well, he's going to play a different position for a lot of other teams, though. The Reds' decision to move him to center field was part of a, a, a logjam that they had at the time. That's not a problem quite the same way that it was back a few years ago. So, I don't know. Maybe put him in a different position and give him a fresh start with a new org. But it, it just seems like health has really chipped away at the player we thought that Nick Senzel was going to be. I, I had high expectations for him this year because I thought the hard hit rate we saw in limited action last year was encouraging. I thought there was reason to believe you know, the plate skills, especially he could put something together and it just hasn't worked out so far. The only thing that I have to add uh, to this discussion though, is that I'm not sure that the Reds have a center fielder of all the things they have. Yeah. That's maybe not necessarily there next year is Senzel Fraley fill in the blank and right. I mean, I'm not sure it's a Kino. Um, I think the, is the contract from Moustakas finally up? And I think they got another year on that. I mean, the prospects, Elie De La Cruz, Edwin Arroyo, Noel V. Marte. Moustakas is the DH. Yeah, but those guys aren't ready. No, I'm just thinking like multi-years. Like, yeah, they're not ready now. I'm just saying next year. Next year, depth chart, Fraley in left, Senzel in center, fill in the blank and right. Like, I think they could sign somebody, actually. Um, Moustakas at DH, Vado back at first, India, uh, Barrero and Steer in second and, sh- and third with Farmer as the super utility. And Robinson, maybe Robinson and um, what's his face behind the plate? Tyler Stevenson. Yeah. 
they're probably not going to be that good again. But those that's if that if that depth chart holds, you've heard uh, some major opportunity for three players in Steer, Barrero, and Fraley. It could be a little underpriced, even though Fraley has done pretty well since the trade deadline with that extra playing time opening up. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, some other names that we should get to. Spencer Torkelson is back in the big leagues too for whatever that might be worth. Plenty of redraft leagues in which Torkelson was dropped. So I guess given that we saw a pretty good decision-making, it's just as far as the, the O-swing percentage goes when Torkelson was up earlier this season, do you give him another look as a corner option in a 15-team redraft? If you're hurting, we talked about some corner options, I think in our last episode or two episodes ago. If if Torque's out there this weekend, are you picking him up? Not in redraft leagues. I I think that the die has been cast for this year. I think he needs a full off season uh, of training and and some um, some real changes in approach. Uh, I don't think I've necessarily seen that um, out of his AAA line. He's exactly league average in AAA, and um, you know did not. I guess he pulled the ball a little bit more in in AAA, so it's possible he comes up and pulls the ball more. I see someone who's stuck in between, who's stuck in between two things. He's stuck in between uh, sort of fastballs and sliders. Uh, That's what the weak contact is. But I think he's also stuck in between having an oppo opposite field approach uh, that served him so well in the minors and with an old ball uh, that I don't think is is serving him well right now. Um, So you know, I think. You know, being aggressive, getting the ball out in front, making the most out of his power, and then adding patience uh, to that uh, is his best way forward. I just don't see evidence uh, that he's necessarily done that at any level this year. Long term, uh, there's still uh, some. I think there's still some uh, some good things to hang your hat on. The fact that uh, he does not chase balls much, uh, has a decent max uh, exit velocity. Um, those are two good things. Um, yeah, it looks like a guy who could get on base, like looks like he has a good eye at the plate. Uh, I think a little bit about Austin Riley when I see this package. That's pretty exciting given the, the way things have turned out for Riley. I'd rather that he was like, went back to the AAA and like blew up AAA and like, you know, was coming back for this year, but for the future, decent buy though. Yeah. It was a, about a 20 home run pace, low twenties home run pace for him during his time. At AAA, I think the the weirdest thing for me was the 26.5% K rate. To go down and not lower that K rate again back to where it was last year when he spent 40 games at that level, that was a little bit of a surprise. But 
still drawing his walks. And I think the other thing that's different about Torkelson, big league Torkelson versus minor league Spencer Torkelson, more balls on the ground during his time in the big leagues. If he gets back to hitting the ball in the air a little more often, he'll probably unlock some of that power sooner rather than later. Still a lot to like. Good uh, dynasty keeper league sort of buy low if you had a chance to do that in the last month or so while he was uh, toiling away at AAA Toledo. Uh, Miguel Vargas is back. I think we have a lot of the same questions playing time-wise for him, right? It's not really a talent question. It's just more of a, a usage question. Yeah, I'm really excited about his combination of power and contact. You know, I guess Joey Gallo has been uh, has been playing well as a Dodger. Uh, if anybody uh, didn't pay attention, he's been 19% bet in league average, still with a poor batting average, but some of the power has come back. Um, he's hit three homers with the Dodgers. And uh, I think it's just about showing some faith in him and running him back out there and, and letting him play every day and, and not worrying about the batting average. Uh, but it is uh, there is some softness to this depth chart when it comes to Gallo and Bellinger. Um, Vargas doesn't play center, <laughs> uh, but it is a freewheeling roster, right? So you could find some way to maybe DH Turner, play Muncy, play Muncy in the field, play Lux in center. Sit Bellinger. Bellinger is sitting against a righty on Thursday, so it's it's not just lefties he's sitting against anymore. But uh, at the very least, I think they could find some configuration where Vargas plays against lefties. But uh, if he wants to push somebody out, I think it's he has to push Gallo out of regular playing time, become the left fielder, and then Gallo, Taylor, and Bellinger share center. Or Gallo's a backup and Taylor and Bellinger South center. Not impossible, but doesn't seem like the most likely outcome. So I think it's still a little more of a, a 2023 thing for me with Miguel Vargas. He could be good in a part-time role. Yeah, but even then, like, who is who's who's oops who's leaving this roster that will open up the ro- opportunity for him? I think Justin Turner would be gone, right? Turner is up. Yeah, I think Turner's contract runs out at the end of the season. He's going to be 38 in November. If they got him signed already, he's got that's a, a vesting mistake. option. He didn't play enough this year to vest it, though, right? Yeah, I don't know what it is. Um, yeah, okay. There's there's a spot. Just take over for Justin Turner. So, there's Condillo yeah. is Justin, Justin Turner. Jeez. Hey, and Trey Turner's a free agent. Oh, yeah. So that could open up a lot of playing time. Not that the not that the Dodgers aren't uh, you know among the teams that could extend him and, and keep him, but I there could be a lot of playing time that opens up on the left side of that infield. But he's at four hundred and thirty three plate appearances so far this season. Justin Turner, that is. Turner's twenty three option can move from a club option to a vesting option if he finishes in the top ten, top fifteen of MVP voting in twenty twenty two. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. Uh, yeah, sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we found Miguel Vargas playing time next year. Uh, if you're in one of those leagues, um, there there could be sort of like twelve team leagues uh, with minimal keepers where it might actually make sense. Even if it like twelve team keep six or something, like could you keep Miguel Vargas in the back end of that? Maybe as your last keeper, but the moves you'd make to get there would be consolidating some of your keepers. You're giving up two for one in multiple trades to get higher end keepers and then saying that like you four or five really, awesome keepers and then you just fill in with Vargas. 
you really believe in Vargas for next season if you're you're putting that out there. So. It's hard to be actionable on some of these things, right? Like Miguel Vargas is great. Yeah, well, everybody in the Keeper League already has him, you know. <laughs> already rostered in NL only. Not yeah. going to play enough for 15s, it appears. Get a chance to see how they use him over the weekend. You've outlined a path for it to possibly work. We'll see if they if they put those wheels in motion here over the next uh, four days before Fab runs again. Uh, Michael Taglia is up for the and Rockies. And he seems to be playing... Like maybe every day-ish? I love that the players that have the greater skills question get to play more because it's in a situation where there's more playing time available. Big K rates in the upper levels of the minor leagues, but nice production. Plenty of power. So what are you doing with Toglia? I am rostering him. I'm picking him up. I am playing him at home because... The nice thing about Colorado is it papers over strikeout rate problems by offering you a better batting average on balls in play. So I would assume that if his projection is for a 230 batting average with a 200 ISO, that's sort of averaging his projections, um, I think at home he might be able to hit 250. Now you got a guy who can hit 250 with power. I want to play that guy at home. On the road... Uh, that might turn into 220 with league average power. So he's a little bit of a streamer then for a lot of mid-sized mixed leagues. Shallow mixed leagues probably not going to do enough in the short term to to make like an impact. In 15 team, like even an NFBC format, I'd like to have him on my on my bench so that I can you know play him for the weekend series in Colorado or play him for the first four days in Colorado and then sit him. You know, um, you know, I'm in places where I had Brett Beatty. <laughs> Mm, yeah, uh, and uh, you know if it gets deep enough, you you want. So I think Tuglia, Tuglia might be Tuglia and Steer are probably the uh, my favorite actual items on this list because Gunnar Henderson's gonna someone's gonna use the hammer on him. You know, someone's gonna have a waiver claim. They 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 were nursing through the season. Someone's gonna have the most FAB. And it's not going to be me in either case. <laughs> so uh, I'm not going to get Gunnar Henderson anywhere. But Steer and Toglia seem... Uh, and then maybe one more name um, for a team that you follow. Yeah, I think Garrett Mitchell is sneaky interesting in 15-teamers and deeper. I think the platoon situation is likely to occur in center field because Mitchell's a lefty, Tyrone Taylor's a righty. Um, the Taglia schedule, by the way, next week, six games all at home. The following week, five games on the road in Chicago, so he'll just sit all week. But then the week after that, seven games all at home against the Giants and Padres. So two good weeks of usage and then one week where he's just clearly on your bench. So I think that does make a streamer a little easier to use when it's not a broken up week, especially in non-NFBC situations where you have to where commit for the whole week. change it, yeah. 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 So, so Garrett Mitchell... Garrett Mitchell runs well, plays good defense in center field, hasn't shown a lot of power in games. I, I guess I'm I'm going to throw it at you because I have the blue and yellow glasses on. How much of a of a hitter is Garrett Mitchell? Is he a good enough hitter to get on base and use his speed and be a nice late season source of, of steals? Because the steals are really what kind of jump off the page. When you look back through his minor league track record, it's a lot of, of partial seasons, a lot of uh, 30 to 40 game stops at several levels. He's been very efficient as a base stealer in the minors. Yeah, I would see him as a guy you'd pick up for steals. Um, I think there's a, a chance 
that the uh, strikeout rate projections are too high um, if he made a skill change uh, this year. Although uh, most of that is AAA and the AA 27% strikeout, 28% strikeout rate is this year. So I thought that was actually last year's stop. He's just made three stops this year. So I, I would assume uh, this is a stolen base play. And it's a better stolen base play than like uh, Bubba Thompson, I think, uh, to put him into perspective, the uh, outfielder for the Rangers. Yep. I would agree with that, even though Thompson runs a ton and is interesting in his own right. I, I like I like uh, Mitchell a little bit better. I think, you know, just as a prospect and... Um, I like the uh, the reduced swing strike rate in AAA. Um, and it says to me that something about, like, you know, he was at AA where everyone's just trying to throw their hard- hardest and and, throw- and show their stuff, and then he goes to AAA where people have more refined arsenals and he strikes out less. So that's an interesting uh, progression for me. Um and so, you know, yeah, he's striking out too much right now, but walking a lot and already has a stolen base in three games, uh, five games um, of inconsistent, you know, he didn't start all five, right? No, I got the first big league home run out of the way, though. I believe that was on Monday. Days are all starting to roll together. He made his debut that, on Saturday and didn't start that game. That's exciting. You know, there's a, there's a game right there where you homer and stole a base in the same game. And it looks like he's starting like two out of every three, is my guess. Yeah, because Taylor's good enough to play. Like that, that's the problem. It's not just Garrett Mitchell's job. It's a, a shared role for him, so you do have to keep an eye on the schedule. But as late season stolen base plays go, I think you could do a bit worse than Garrett Mitchell. We've certainly rostered players with lower floors than Mitchell looking for speed in September in, uh, in years past. Bubba Thompson is, I think, more guaranteed to strike out more, is not going to add a good walk rate, is not as good of a prospect overall. And though I guess the one difference, and he is a right-hander, which I don't like, the one difference is his team may just um, put him out there more often to to evaluate him. Right. So that's where that's what you're judging uh, when you're judging the two. Um but given that, given the fact that they might put him out there every they you might want to put him out there, he's still not playing every day. He's still playing almost as if he was a lefty, two out of three sort of situation. So uh I think um I think I stand by the I like Mitchell better. Let's get to some pitchers that have been brought up recently. Hunter Brown coming up for the Astros. I don't know if there's a, a clear rotation spot for him given you know the depth they have right now even with Justin Verlander down but it wouldn't surprise me if they wanted to just manipulate the schedule give a couple of their younger starters a Christian Javier who has not been in the rotation for a full season give guys like that a rest so maybe it's a couple of spot starts around long relief innings I do like Brown going into 2023 though you know I don't know if he's an easy fit on a lot of rosters right now given the uncertainty if he gets confirmed to start a game or two, then yeah, you want to pick him up and stream him, especially given the organizational consistency of putting guys in that multi-inning role and then nudging them into the rotation when needed. There's good stuff here, plenty of strikeouts. Control has improved a little bit compared to where it was a couple of years ago. So I think I'm in on Brown if we get a green light for a couple starting opportunities. 
It was interesting. We were talking in the 3.0 show about uh, some of the plans that the Rays had for managing Shane McClanahan's innings down the stretch. And uh, I could see this team, like to me, Luis Garcia needs a blow. But you don't want to necessarily have him take off a whole start, right? Because just in terms of keeping guys stretched out and, and, and how pitchers work, uh, that would have him, you almost need him to kind of rehab to get back out. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to miss a whole start. I could see him piggybacking with Luis Garcia or Jose Urquidy or even Lance McCullers. Although Lance McCullers is more about building up. Um, but Javier, maybe. Those three, Javier, Garcia, and Urquidy, did fade a little bit down the stretch last year. And this is a team that's thinking about the World Series, Right. So I don't know if that makes him easy to use because, uh, you know, he may get three inning stints, Hunter Brown, um, you know, piggybacking with uh, some of those veterans to kind of lessen their workload down the stretch. Uh, But the nice thing will be that it'll give us a look into his locations because his walk rates are bad, his command uh, numbers are bad, but his location plus in the minor leagues this year is above average. So, um, you know, maybe he's a guy who just lives on the corners and, uh, you know, sometimes misses and is just willing to give up the walk to avoid the homer uh, because he's chasing those strikeouts. If that's the case, there are other pitchers that have made that work, especially with good stuff. So I'm not ready to say that he doesn't have good enough command to be a starter. I don't think this is a Josh James situation, um, but we'll get to know a lot more. And so I think this is kind of more of a wait and see unless um, they really do uh, IL somebody and and or or put someone you know take some tell them someone to take a two-week rest and then build them back up again in late September um, but uh, I think more likely we're gonna see some short outings from Garcia Urquidy and Javier and Brown will come in and soak up some of those middle innings I'm not normal because it's September 1st and I'm already thinking about Hunter Brown as a round 33, round 35 yeah. pick and draft and hold. And saying, <laughs> and yeah, draft I, and hold next year. I like that as a fall draft and hold pick that's going to look really good next summer. likely to be a guy that doesn't start in the major leagues but is like their first man up, right? That's a good spot to be in Houston as we have seen time and time again. Uh, Ken Waltachuk is up for the A's. A's becoming a little more interesting by the by the week. Waldachuk, of course, uh, the key player they got back as part of the Frankie Montas trade at the trade deadline. I, I forget if you had stuff numbers on Waldachuk in the minors or not, but I, I think the ballpark alone makes him an immediate home streamer in a lot of leagues, even if we can't necessarily use him for all matchups right away. Yeah, I don't I don't have him, uh, but, uh, you know, his walk rates are have not even improved uh, on the same level as as Brown. So, um, you know, I, I'm very interested to see how how bad the command is, um, because the stuff looks legit and the the strikeouts are pretty amazing. The swing strikes are pretty amazing. Like this is. Uh, I did ask a little bit about do you know did poke around with uh some people within the organization that you know do does oakland value people who are uh close to the major leagues too much like is it um should you know if you could have had waldachuk or noel v Marte, which one would you rather have and i think most people would say noel v Marte. um 
but uh, one source pushed back on it a little bit and said it depends on your um, taste for risk. Um, and I, I think if you look at Waldachuk's profile, you see someone that I think the risk is he's wild and he's your fourth starter. And the upside is he manages that and is your first starter, right? The risk with Nuvali Marte is, I mean, he's not a big leader. I guess that's in the the range of outcomes. That still seems like a low probability outcome for Noel V. Marte, but maybe I maybe I overestimate the floor of position player prospects. Maybe that's something I have uh, wrong as someone that doesn't work inside the game. I mean, most of the numbers say that the bust rate is higher on, on pitchers than hitters. Although I will say that it's not like the bust rate on hitting prospects is thirty uh, percent, and the bust rate on pitching prospects is sixty percent. Right? It's not that. It's more like the bus rate on hitting prospects is 40% and the bus rate on pitching prospects is 45. I feel like that might be a topic for a future episode right there. I guess. I, I still think with injury and the fluctuation in pitchers and the fact that it's harder for us to know the true talent of a pitcher, uh, I think all of these things I, I always push me towards wanting the bat. <laughs> I, I, for one, would much rather have gotten the Mariners package. Maybe it wasn't on the table for Montas, but I much rather would have had the Mariners package. Or even just a player let's say a like little that. further down. Yeah. A, 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 <laughs> someone who plays up the middle, it would have been Volpe in that case, but Oswald Peraza, maybe as part of the, the headline. I, I, I don't really like Peraza, but I'm saying just a position, a good yeah, yeah. upper level position player. Maybe he's not the specific example, but I, I prefer position player returns as well. If I were in that position, uh, it looks like we're getting another look at DL hall who, you know, kind of, Popped in terms of Yay. stuff in that brief time we saw him, that one uh, start. Matt Brashian in the model. Kind of a left-handed Matt Brash is sort of the floor. and Just crazy, yeah. crazy bad command. How do you think they're going to use him in the final month plus? It is weird because they want to win games. I think he may end up uh, taking over the role that Keegan Aiken had a little bit, where he's used for two or three innings. The, the the research that suggests that command is the first thing to go at 80 pitches means that if I want to win games and use DL Hall right now, while allowing him to, you know, progress a little bit in his career, I would use him for less than 80 pitches. <laughs> I would try to use him uh, for 40 to 50 pitches. I think there's plenty of opportunity to use him for 40, 50 pitches, especially since Kyle Bradish is a guy that I would be having him throw his slider 40% of the time, um, which makes it kind of hard for him, I think, to turn the lineup over three times. So behind Kyle Bradish, behind Sammy Watkins, um, you know, have him come in for two or three innings. I think that would be a, a good way to win games. Looking at the way they've used him since sending him back down to AAA, they did move him into a relief role. It's been a multi-inning relief role so far. Ah, Two innings, two innings, one and a third, and one and a third. Sometimes I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I kind of figured. I do like him long-term to, I think next year they'll stretch him out again and give him another chance because it's it's really good stuff and it's a broad arsenal. And, you know, maybe he'll figure some things out about what he can command at the major league level. One reliever up that maybe has some long-term appeal. Mason Thompson is getting a chance with the Nationals, and I think he's only 
it's only on the radar for me because I'm not sold on Kyle Finnegan being a clear long-term closer and opportunity could just be available sooner rather than later. And Thompson looks like he has seals maybe as good as anybody else in that bullpen to quickly move up the depth chart and, and possibly help us out. Maybe not down the stretch this year, but if he pitches well, he could be a candidate to compete for that job in spring training for 2023. Yeah, I have him, I have him with better stuff than Finnegan. Uh, I think stuff is more meaningful for closer for for in a more sticky year to year. Um, and uh, Tanner Rainey has uh, uh, elbow surgery, so he'll be out next year. Um, and uh, you know, Kyle Finnegan uh, would be the catbird seat, uh, but we'll get a little bit inf- more information between now and then. Um, and uh, even a good setup guy uh, is somebody that you should uh, stick in your hat and remember. Uh, speaking of which, I'm not sure he's going to close for the Cubs this year, uh, but Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah, what is his last name actually? Jeremiah Estrada just came up uh, for the Cubs, and he has the second best fastball stuff in baseball after one outing. That can that can move a little bit after one outing, but it really matches the eye test. He's kind of a he's found a that 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 fastball that everybody wants which is kind of a lowish release point uh with a ton of ride um and it when you watch it it looks a little bit like felix bautista's which is the other best fastball in baseball or is the number one fastball in baseball um they've needed somebody like this to come wow everybody i think he could you know get some saves uh because rowan wick you know maybe rowan wick is you know an incumbent uh, for for saves next year, but he has uh, struggled to turn some of his stuff into strikeouts, and he has poor command. I don't know that Estrada has that. Um, and uh, as much as I like Brandon Hughes, I think he doesn't profile necessarily as uh, being one of these uh, stuffists that can just take over a closer role. He's more of a just a good reliever. Um, so Jeremiah Estrada, man, he, there's a non-zero chance he's a closer for them next year. Um, and, uh, I would say a large chance that he's a really important part of their bullpen next year for holds people. Yeah. Another good name. I picked up Felix Bautista, uh, because, you know, in his first of two appearances, he had similar numbers and Felix Bautista turned in the closer in the next month or two. So that's that's the sort of trajectory I could see with Estrada. When you're, when you're a reliever, life your life changes quickly. Yeah, especially in a bullpen that's very unsettled right now in terms of how those roles are actually working out. It looks like it's a clear committee for the immediate future with the Cubs. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. 
Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's talk about a few other new-ish pitchers. One that got called up earlier this season and has been in the Boston rotation recently, Brian Bayo. I'm just curious. The minor league numbers were really good. Now that we've had a, an extended look at what Bayo might be able to do against big league hitters, what are you seeing in the model and, and how optimistic are you about his chances of sticking as a starter and, and becoming a, a good fantasy starter for us? I, 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 I it's The first couple of starts I really didn't like. Um, and the model didn't like him, and I, you know, I thought that people were too high on him, um, and I didn't get it. Uh, however, uh, as the the season has gone on, uh, by appearance, uh, he has improved almost with every appearance. As much as you know, it's still been inconsistent results. Uh, his best stuff numbers have come in the last two. His best command numbers have come in the last two, um, and. The model may actually be missing something. One thing that uh, is important to note with uh, the Pitching Plus model is that, um, you know, the softest ratings I would give anybody is f- like the softest, how do I put it? The the the, the softest correlation between uh, stuff plus and outcomes uh, comes among change-ups. And so, you know, when you've got a guy like Bayo uh, who his best pitch is uh, has been considered to be uh, his changeup coming up, um, and then you look at his outcomes on his pitches, uh, and he has a twenty percent whiff rate on his changeup, um, and he's not given up an extra base hit, and they're hitting two hundred off of it. I tend to think the model underrates him. So the fact that it already says that he's a pretty interesting player. Uh, with a good slider, uh, you know, 94-ish stuff, um, and inconsistent command that's gotten better over uh, the course of his appearances, I've changed my mind on him. I like him. Uh, I think the model underrates his changeup, and um, I think the projections, it's kind of amazing to me that the projections are projecting him for such low strikeouts, strikeout rates. Um, He's been consistently putting up plus strikeout rates in the minor leagues and i would expect that as he gets used to using his arsenal at the major league level his strikeout rate goes up yeah to look well beyond the surface uh, ratios era and whip right now in pretty rough shape could fix that in the final month plus but uh really impressive track record in the upper levels of the minor leagues and nice to see things improving in the underlying numbers with the model as well uh, what do you see in javier Assad? i don't remember really noticing him on any prospect lists going into the season wasn't on my radar at all getting a late opportunity with the Cubs he's made a couple of starts so far I think it's nine nine scoreless innings in in two starts um more walks than strikeouts so off the cuff not necessarily a, a profile that I would ordinarily get excited about but there is opportunity right now in the Cubs rotation yeah and he's he's an interesting player because he's got a lot of pitches how good they are and which are his out pitches and stuff that's it's up for debate and it's 
Uh, and they're all there's there's so many breaking balls. You wonder if they're just gonna like morph together. But the model says good slider uh, that he can command, uh, a good cutter uh, that is like his primary pitch, um, and uh, so therefore. Uh, if he's using the cutter as his primary pitch, it could be undervaluing his sinker and force seam, which he could be playing off of that. However, uh, he throws everything hard, so it's kind of hard to tell what his primary pitch is. He's got this sinker he's thrown 42 times, a force seam he's thrown 32 times, a cutter he's thrown 59 times. You know, I guess you could say, okay, the cutter is the primary, in which case we may see some changes in the experimental model uh, that we were working on that will say... Uh, that it will determine your primary fastball or primary pitch as the one you throw the most in your outing. And so we may see some changes to that uh, in the future. What has improved uh, in the second outing was his command. It was really poor in his first outing. Maybe he was nerves. Maybe he's just trying to throw real hard. But I see some uh, real opportunity here for a guy to go on your sleeper list for next year uh, because what have I said often on this uh, broadcast is uh, that a lot of pitches is good. And he's got a lot of pitches. And most of them are near league average, either in command or stuff. So I think this is a guy with a slight tweak of, of what he's got uh, could it turn out to be a really good pitcher. I don't know if he's, I see an ace, uh, but I, do, I see a very usable pitcher here. A couple of other names. We saw Cade Cavalli debut last weekend and then unfortunately suffered what appears to be a season-ending injury after just one start. Uh, I think the model, if I remember glancing at it over the weekend, it kind of lined up with expectations. Stuff was pretty good. Location was a little bit shaky. And uh, as we've pointed out before, sometimes that can also be uh, impacted by a debut, right? There's usually a little bit of, of location lost in a pitcher's debut. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a there's I you know I remember studying the debut velocity bump uh, a while back, and it was very similar to the postseason velocity bump. So there's an an adrenaline bump, uh, whether it's the postseason or your debut, Um, and unfortunately that may have contributed to injury for Cavalli. Uh, Come up, try to throw as hard as you can your first start, and uh, and leave uh, holding his shoulders. Not good news. Um, the model did say he could command his four seam. So the fact that he had such poor location numbers was based almost entirely on his secondary stuff. If you have good four seam command, uh, you know, I, I remember talking to, uh, uh, Seth part about basketball. And he said that if you have, um, inconsistent results, uh, from three pointers, but you, uh, you can hit your free throws that you can actually use free throws as a proxy for this is a good, this is a guy's a good shooter. And you know, basically if you have like a big man who doesn't take many threes but the team says, "Oh, we're going to take more threes this year." If he has a good free throw percentage, then he might have a good three-point percentage when he tries it, you know? Hmm. Uh and so I think of that almost when I look at fastball uh and and secondary command. Uh, if you can command your four-seam fastball, uh, and in small and in small sample, you haven't shown the ability necessarily to command uh, your secondary stuff as well. I'm not as worried than if you can't command your four seam. Commanding okay. your four seam almost seems like the free throws. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the thing you practice the most. That's the thing you know. That's the thing you should be able to do. 
So yeah, it should be uh, the easiest pitch to command in theory. Right, the straightest. And that there's other evidence too that the bigger your movement is, we have these sweepers, we have these large movement pitches, we have these Matt Brash type pitches um, that when you have big movement, it's harder to command. That's what makes Corey Kluber a goat in some ways is he has this huge breaking ball and he has great command. Um, and uh, that's I think that's been his his best feature in his career to date. So, um, Kate Cavalli... I think uh, I, I'm. I like him. I like him. I, I think uh, you know when you think about a organization sometimes having trouble, you know, um, making it work with people, uh, you know, developing players. Um, that doesn't always true for their first round pick. You know what I mean? Like sometimes talent is just good enough to 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 make it happen. Yeah, and maybe more of a finished product, relatively speaking, too, compared to other players that you're drafting. So something else to keep in mind, I guess, with Cade Cavalli. Plenty of opportunity for him next season in that rotation, too. Should have a spot to call his own for the foreseeable future. Uh, one last topic for today. Let's talk about the Julio Rodriguez contract extension, which, as we've learned over the last week or so, is very complicated. It is 12 guaranteed years, but the way the options work, he could be in Seattle through 2039. And I think the the best thing I've seen so far, Nick Vitalis from Lookout Landing made a flowchart breaking down how this contract actually works because there's, there's the club option path and there's a player option path. I mean... What is going on with this contract? If he's if he's good, it'll be a huge contract. Uh, if he's as good as he's been even now, and and suggest that and there's some growth because he's 21 and can get better for four or five years, uh, then it'll be a was a 470 million dollar contract. Yeah, I believe um, that was the maximum possible. If every if every incentive and every option what happens and all is, gets triggered. Yeah, basically what happens is it's like uh, uh, it's 120 uh, million for the first eight years, and if he's good, there are these escalators, and the club option changes from a 200 million uh, dollar deal to a 10 year 350 million dollar deal, um, and uh, so that's where you get the 470. That's if he gets some AL MVP finishes, and the team wants him for another 10 years after the first eight years. Um, so the the max is 470, and I think the min for me. Some people have talked about 200 million, but I don't I don't I don't really know where that comes from. What I see is a minimum of 120 for eight, and then uh, uh, a player option for 90 million that Rodriguez would use. I think that's the minimum because if you think about it, if he's good enough uh, to get more than 90 million. Um, he's very likely the team picks up his option. Like if he's good, then the team picks up this option. They get him for eight for 200 or 10 for 350. Uh, if he's bad, then he would rather, or been injured a lot, then he'd rather just pick up and get another 90 million. So I see the minimum as um, 90 million uh, plus 120, 210 million. That's the floor of the contract, but I, I think the the club option having some performance dependent incentives that are uh, probably the biggest incentives I can recall in a contract yeah. make this even more interesting than the typical deal that keeps a great young player in one place for a very long time. Just a cool thing to see, right? I mean, we we like seeing stars, young stars, get an opportunity to get paid and 
and possibly spend their entire career with one franchise. I believe this contract also had a full no trade, which, uh, you know, that's a, that's a pretty rare thing to get for someone this age as well. Yeah, I'm sure... I'm sure there's there's a, a possibility he leaves money on the table because um, he, he could play six years and then sign uh, and, and six years now inflation with inflation right um, you know he could sign something better than ten and three fifty could but still this is a great long term deal to have and. He gets some certainty, but he also has he gets a pretty good ceiling if he's the player that I think he expects to be and that many people expect him to be. And it's you know, there's something cool about he's an he's a plus plus person. I mean, every interaction I've had with him has just been really fun. And he's he's lively, engaging, he he's uh present, um, and he likes people and people like him. And I think that he's really liked um, his process through the minor, I think he he I think he he thinks that the the Mariners have made him a better player, and um, I think he sees an opportunity to just be a Mariner star, you know. Um, and he you know everything goes right, he gets four hundred seventy million dollars and goes into the Hall of Fame with his Mariners hat on, right. Uh, and if if something goes wrong with injury or uh, I think the only Sort of minor thing I could see is uh, maybe some too much chase, uh, but it's not like it's not Raphael Devers' chase where Devers has. Uh, we had a, a, a listener tweet out that Devers has a chance to have one of the biggest collapses of recent history, uh, being a top ten player in the first half and being a bottom ten player in the second half uh, by WRC Plus. Uh, Devers has way more chase than Rodriguez has right now. Um, and so uh, I, that's the only little thing and that should improve over time as he sees people. And if you look at his league, his chart for the year, it's improved over this course this year. So, uh, you know, I think it's mostly just, uh, it would be injury. Yeah. Hoping we see a healthy Julio Rodriguez in Seattle for a very long time and hoping he plays at a level where he gets every single dollar out of all of those incentives. That'd be the, the best possible outcome. I think for everybody, if we could actually, Watch that happen over the next decade plus. We are going to go. Before we go, a quick reminder, get a subscription to The Athletic for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can send us questions via email, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. You can find us on Twitter. Eno's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Tuesday. Have a safe and happy long weekend. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.